Well, let us turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and with the word of God open before us, let us turn to the God of the word in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess before thee that if left to ourselves, our time around thy word would not only be without profit, but might actually be to our detriment filling our heads with that knowledge which puffeth up, but not enabling us to draw from it the true spiritual blessing and benefit which the Holy Spirit alone can impart to a soul. So we pray be with us. Leave us not to ourselves, but guard and guide all that is said and all that is heard by thy Holy Spirit, so that we may with meekness receive that engrafted word to the saving of our souls. Make us, O Lord, to be those who, looking into the perfect law of righteousness, are not forgetful hearers, but who apply by thy grace the word heard and profit thereby. Hear us now and accept our praise, pardoning all that offends for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look just for a little time at uh, three particular things from the beginning of this chapter where it says, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. And here we see that there is this fear that they might fall short, that they might come short of what God would have for them. He wants God's best, God's blessing for those to whom he is writing. And so he says, let us therefore fear, let us have a due and diligent consideration of the danger that exists if we should fail to benefit from the word of God in such a way as would be to our good and to the good of others around us. And I suppose that's something that we should always have, that sense of reverent fear that we go out of the place where God's people have gathered and we go out either not bettered at all or perish the thought even worse than we came in. Let us therefore fear. And there we see there is this godly fear that is required as an antidote to the dangers that otherwise might ensnare us around the word of God and around the things of God. It is possible having good things, having blessed things, having benefits, that we actually become ensnared or entrapped or endangered by them. And that was the danger for these ones. He says, let us therefore fear, because the danger was they could have all the provision, all the blessing, all the benefits that God would bestow upon them, and they wouldn't actually benefit from it. Here particularly it is the promise of entering into the rest that God has provided for those who trust in him. So first of all then we'll look at a God, the godly fear which is an antidote to uh, great danger. 
And then secondly, we'll look at the great fall which is to be avoided. Lest any of you should seem to come short. In other words, you're to have this consideration, this godly fear, so that you don't come short. So that you don't fail to benefit correctly. And we'll look at the danger of falling short. Secondly, and then thirdly and finally, the gracious favour we are to attain to. That is the blessing and the benefit of entering into his rest. So, here we see, first of all then, godly fear is a great blessing and benefit for those who possess it. Happy is the man that feareth always. So we're told in Proverbs 28, but of course as Proverbs also does, it gives the other side, it gives the, the danger that is the opposite of that blessing. Uh, happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. The opposite of fear here is a, a hard heart. A heart that's insensitive either to its own needs or the needs of others. A heart that is intransigent, unable to move in that Godward direction and in fact opposed so bitterly to listening to God that no matter how loudly and clearly he speak, they are not the better for it. Let us fear, lest that should be our situation. This is speaking here of the insensitivity to a danger that is very close, that you or I or others fear, uh, that face. And if we don't fear it, then our danger of falling into it is increased all the more. Now sometimes, of course, people observe a, a danger and then fall into it themselves. I, I remember one friend of mine uh, it's one of these comical things that occur in life and when you see them you, you almost don't believe they happen to you but you saw them and he was cycling in front of us we were all out for a cycle that day young lads together and he looked back he was out in front and he turned back to shout to us all look out for the hole and just as he said that he went into it head first on his bike we all had a great laugh at his expense. It's possible to be so busy pointing out the hole to others that you end up falling into it yourself. And that's certainly something we should, uh, we should uh, endeavour to avoid at all costs. To be so caught up in trying to keep others from the danger that we end up ourselves being ensnared and entrapped by the very same thing we had thought to shout to others to beware of. Here, we see we're told, let us therefore fear. For fear is godly fear. I know there's a fear that snares the fear of man. But this is a godly fear that's being spoken of. It's a sense of <laughs> reverent, carefulness with regards to both our own abilities and our need of God's 
help that we might profit from the promises of his word. You see, if we don't fear or right, then there's the danger that we will become ensnared with what's called false confidence. In other words, we'll place our confidence in something that we really shouldn't. And I suppose that's one of the problems with so much of our modern society. It always has been, and it's nothing new. In fact, if you look back, we were reading earlier in Psalm 115, and you see it in Psalm 135, where we were singing together, there are those who place their confidence in idols, in things which may have eyes, but they cannot see, may have mouths, but they cannot breathe or do anything through them, have feet, but they cannot transport themselves, and so on. To place confidence in those things is to have a false confidence. It's to have a confidence in something that has no warrantable reason for giving you confidence. And of course we sit here in our day and generation and we say, well, of course that, that, that's silly to believe in that little idol on the wall in the nook and cranny of our homes as it would have been there in Israel or in the heathen nations that surrounded them. Of course, that's folly. Oh, but we can place our confidence in all sorts of things. We can place our confidence in our wit and our wisdom. The fact that we are smarter than others. Perhaps we can place our confidence in our facility with language. We are so good at speaking. Well, we'll be able to talk our way out of anything. Sometimes we place our confidence in our money or our position or a hundred and one other things. And when we place our confidence in those things, we are as dumb as those who place their confidence in idols. For we are placing our confidence in things which cannot truly, ultimately deliver. And the sad fact is, you don't need to go back a thousand years to see that. You can see it in our own wayward hearts when we leave them to ourselves. False confidence is and always has been a danger. That's why in Isaiah 44, when a similar idea is being spoken of, says, He feedeth on ashes, a deceived heart hath turned him aside. He cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? He can take a tree and chop it down. He can feed himself from the ashes which have burned and smoldered, and then he goes and worships the piece of wood that's left. He says, doesn't have the sense to see that he's trusting in something that he has just chopped up and used for his own ends and cannot see the folly and the lie in that and we sometimes look at the work of our hands and think I'll trust in that I've got a good pension fund I've got abilities I've got this and that and we place our confidence in these things rather than in God Let us have our confidence where it should be, and that is not in ourselves, but in God. For the false confidence is so 
eh, rooted in the very fabric of man by nature, that we have seen it from the very start. Also overconfidence. Overconfidence is when we have success in something and think because of that we extrapolate that we'll always be successful in whatever we do in that area, perhaps even in other areas that have nothing to do with our success. You think of the men of AI. Now, they had a a notable victory. And they thought from that that therefore every time they went out to battle that the result would always be the same, that they would always have notable victories. And so they had that personal overconfidence where they failed to see the limitations of their position and stick with what you might say was their rather uh, well-defended position. I know, of course, God was in control of all that was going on. But they left that to come out according to the stratagem that uh, Joshua and the men of Israel under God used to draw them out. Something very similar to what happened in the Battle of Dunbar many, many years later on. For those of you history buffs who remember that. But they left the fortified position that they were in. Ran down the hill thinking that they could... Increase their honour and their glory by chasing the invaders out and actually just became subject to the sword of those who otherwise had thought the day was lost. You see, overconfidence causes us to do things which, if we were looking in the cold light of day, we would say, I'd have to be a fool to try that. And just because I have had some small victory in this area or that area of life, to assume that therefore I can do whatever I want to do and do it in my way and will always be successful, that's overconfidence, that's foolishness. We're told with regards to that situation, it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted up and rose early and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle and he and all his people at the appointed time before the plain. But he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. You see, he didn't know everything that was happening. He didn't know that there was a shocking surprise about to descend upon him and upon his city because of his overconfidence. And when we see the promises of God, sometimes people think, well, that's for those who need that sort of thing. You you hear it often today with sort of unbelief when they say, well, religion's good for those who need that crutch. You know, the sort of dismissive, looking down upon those who have a faith in the living God. But they say, I've done well for myself. I've got on in life. I don't need God. 
I'm doing fine, thank you very much, without any reference to your God. And there's an overconfidence that because they've done well in one aspect of life, that that means everything, including eternity, can be likewise put down to, I'll do well in that too. You think of the rich man who was a fool in the eyes of God. He looked at all that he had made. He had taken his barns, pulled them down, built bigger ones and said, Ah, soul, imagine saying to your soul, relax in physical things. But that's what he said. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be that thou hast made? You see, sometimes there's an overconfidence in what we can do, forgetting what we cannot. And when we fail to take note of those things, we leave ourselves open to the greatest of all disappointments, an eternity without God. Samson did something similar, you remember. And that's a warning to believers. Samson thought God would always be with him because on so many other occasions he had been able to rise, to rouse himself, to shake himself off and the, the ties that bind him would go just as if a, a flame had touched a tiny little thread. And he tried. And he couldn't. For he wist not that God was gone from him. He realized not that the Lord was departed from him. You remember when, and I think the, the little ones here, you'll remember that situation when Samson was getting ready to think he would do to them just what he'd done to all those Philistines before. And she, ah, that one so often, when a mighty man is brought down, it's, it's a female that can bring them down. She said to the Philistines, Be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and he said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. Overconfidence in a man who has known the touch of God, is a most vile thing, because there's not only the wickedness of the unbeliever, there's the provocation of belief gone to seed. And presumption that God will always be there, despite their provocations against them. Oh no, my friend. Overconfidence can soon be brought down. And self-confidence. We're told that there are those who, well, they just think, I can do whatever I want. Told in Second Peter, chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they and self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They're the sort of ones that are always laughing and mocking at religion and say, I can do whatever I want. God can't stop me. 
My friend, don't let your friends lull you into that sort of wickedness. Don't allow the general tenor of the age to so seep into your soul that you become self-confident and imagine you can shake your fist at God for there's many a one who has. There are even those who have professed themselves Christians who have done it, those who have been true Christians. Remember Peter. Oh, though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. Self-confident arrogance. See all these other fellows, they'll fail you, Lord. They, I can see them, every one of them is suspect. But me, I'm a cut above. I'm better than they are. Oh, you can just hear the self-confidence oozing out of them. Though all men forsake thee, there's maybe anyone else on the planet might do it, but not I. I'm beyond them all. And yet that night, he denied the Lord time and again, with oaths and with curses. Where was his self-confidence then, when a little maid turned and looked at him? And said you were one of them. And he didn't have the spine. To say yes I was. But he gave in. And he cursed. His saviour. Before the ungodly. Robert Murray McSane said this. He said there is much self delusion in our estimation of ourselves. When we are untried. And in the midst of Christian friends, whose warm feelings give a glow to ours, which they do not possess themselves. See what McShane is saying there? He's saying sometimes when we're in the company of those whose faith is warm and glowing, we draw heat from that. But if left to ourselves, we would soon yield. Peter was a bit like that in that incident. There, with next to the Saviour, next to the others, he drew forth the heat. But when left to himself on his own, how the ardour cooled quickly. We have to be so careful of self-confidence, lest the promises being left us, we come short because of that. Of course, the great fall that we are to avoid if we should seem to come short of the promises which God has given let us fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it well of course the great fall to avoid there is first of all just plain wickedness instead of doing what God would have us do we start doing what we know we shouldn't Having heard the promise that is made to those who trust in Christ. We say you know what. I'm just going to do the opposite. Many's a young person has done that. Many's an older one has done it too. 
They've heard the word. They know the truth. They know what God requires. And they've said, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. You say to them, but you know it's wrong. The Lord says you shouldn't do that. Doesn't matter what it is. There can be a hundred and one different things. Different things attract different people. I'm not going to try and see what would be the thing that would touch with regards to you. You can fill that blank in much better than ever I could. But you know this. There are things which God's word says are wrong and are wicked. And you say, but I want to. Oh, the danger of falling short of what you should be for that which you shouldn't be. For seeking after that which you know is wrong and sinful and wicked. Or just plain worldly. You become one that you place other things before God. You know, outwardly, you, you may be pretty upright and upstanding. You know, you won't be looked upon as some sort of hideous heathen. You don't get involved in the obvious, apparent wickedness of those I described just a second or two ago. You just worldly. You don't really care for God and his glory. You just say, I just want whatever the world can give me. Big house, fast car, all the things that this here and now can give me. I remember one fellow in Bible college, and he used to have this saying, and oh, it would grind my gears. <laughs> it was so wrong. Especially from one who was training to be a preacher. And he used to say, I don't want pie in the sky when I die. I want steak on my plate while I wait. Just. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I want the world. I want my cake and eat it. I want heaven on earth and then heaven hereafter. He's a nice lad. <laughs> He was a bright lad. He was top of his class often. I remember our uh, principal having to go through one of his essays because our principal didn't believe in giving any man 100%. He had to go through it, I think, three times to find something he could take off. He's a really bright guy. But I always thought that was a terrible flaw in his thinking. Because we can... Avoid wickedness and still be worldly. Still have that yearning for whatever the world can give us rather than having that which God has, uh, has prepared for us. That's why in Titus it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Or waywardness. Doing the things that they may not directly lead us astray, but you know they're sort of geared towards that. That we end up falling short of where we should be because we just listened to the wrong ones and we just went the wrong way and we never planned on being wicked and we certainly didn't want to be worldly. We just became a bit wayward. We just started to stray. We're a bit like Christian, you know, 
Those of you who, and that will probably be most of you, who have read Pilgrim's Progress perhaps many times, and at first he didn't want to go into Doubting Castle, it's just that, you know, the grass looked a bit greener on the other side. He started to stray off the path. First of all, it was just a few, few footsteps and he could see the path there, but before he knew it, he was wandering in the meadow and he was so far on Bypath Meadow that he had forgotten where the, the path was. It was out of sight. And sometimes we can become wayward. We fall short of where we should be because we have wandered unthinkingly unintentionally, not really meaning to. Perhaps, you know, it was just foolishness. Remember in Proverbs it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. In other words, if you spend your time with folks who have no thought of their eternal welfare, it will rub off. It will endanger you. You will start to think as foolishly as they do. And say the young ones here, sometimes it's tempting to listen to all the ones who say, don't do what mummy and daddy say when they say come along to church and so on. And there are always crowds of those ones who will say that. But God is giving you a privilege. You have been raised in a covenant home. You have been raised under the sound of the, the word of God. Don't let those folks pull you into other ways. Don't let them pull you away from the things of God. That's why in Proverbs 1 it says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And the danger is that we do that. Oh, that's the fall to avoid. Wandering away from the promises of God for the promise of something that can never be. To give up the blessings of heaven for the Shimmera, the illusion of worldly happiness that never really comes. If you don't believe me, look at some of the ones who have earned the most money in the world and never been happy. Howard Hughes, I reckon the guy had so much money, he didn't know what to do with it, but he was so miserable, he was, he was fearful of everybody, he thought they were all after him, trying to get him, and so he lived a miserable life. Some of the greatest authors could hardly free themselves for a moment from their, whether it was addiction to laudanum or whether it was to drink or whatever. Sad. You see, when you forget the promises of God and when you go after the other things, you're, you're endangering yourself that you will forget and you will lose out on the great promise that God has provided for those who trust in him. Don't do that. Have that godly fear which avoids those wrong confidences and place your confidence in God. You can do it sometimes when you worship amiss or when you do all sorts of other things, but time is moving on and I don't want to spend too long on the negatives. But this much I'll say. There's a danger of waiting for God when you should be walking with him. There's a danger for waiting for some great Damascus Road experience to happen. 
when you should be simply trusting in his word. When you should be hearing the promise of God that is given. And rather than in unbelief ignoring it, trusting in him and placing your hope and confidence in God. Instead of looking for a bolt from the blue, you should be trusting in the word of the living God. For his promises never fail. One writer, Richard Baxter, he said, A blind man by learning may dispute of light and colours. So may you, there's a warning to preachers, there's a warning to those of us who preach the word of God, so may you set forth to others that heavenly light which never enlightened your own souls and bring that fire from the hearts of your people which never warmed your own hearts. That's the danger of talking when you should be trusting. Of talking about God. Of talking about faith. Of talking about godliness. And never actually having it and possessing it yourself. Oh what a horrible thing that would be. To go into eternity having spoken and preached and promised the gospel to others. And never having trusted yourself. So those of us who are preachers, let us fear, lest a promise being given us, we should fail to enjoy, we should come short, we should fall short of that which we have spoken to others. Of looking when you should be leaning. The danger is that you look from afar, like Peter, you know, on the day of the crucifixion. He looked. He should have been so much closer. should have been there with John and the ladies. You know, earlier we commented on how sometimes those who seem strong ones often fail because of ladies. Often the godly ones who are coming closer to Christ are the ladies amongst us. Because there was only one fellow there from amongst the disciples, but there were several women that had gathered at the foot of the cross. So often that's true in prayer meetings and in other places. Where if it were not for the ladies and they who walk with God, they would be so much more deserted. But we should be leaning on Christ, not just looking at him from afar. We should be like that one that comes out of the wilderness leaning upon her beloved. We should be trusting in Christ and leaning on him. When things are hardest, that's when we should lean heaviest upon him. When things grow difficult, that's when we should look to him all the more firmly and fully. Is that you? Have you been talking when you should have been trusting? Have you been looking when you should have been leading? Well, if it is... Then lean upon Christ by faith. Tell him in prayer that you believe he can save you. Look to him and call upon him. Tell him 
that you want him to save you and then take him at his word when he says that all that come unto me I will in no wise cast out and trust them to save you. Don't just look at it and say, well, that's nice for other folks. You trust him. Lest a promise being left you, you should come short through unbelief. That's the great and gracious favour that we are to attain. The promise of God remains in force. What a sad thing it is when someone else gives us a promise, we usually try and hold them to it because we know we've got their word for it. And we're really rather disappointed if they don't come up with it. But here's a promise from the one who made everything. And we ignore it. You imagine if you've got a, a check through the mail. I'm talking about a real one, not these ones from the Nigerian prince that come in your email box. I'm talking about the real thing. A check through the mail from someone very wealthy. And you left it there on the table and you went hungry because you had no food. You'd say, man, what a fool. It's everything you need there, right at hand. You just need to go and cash it in. The provision is made. The abundance is undeniable. The ability of the one to perform it is absolutely unquestionable. And you remain utterly unprovided for. Here's the promise. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here's the promise. Those who come to me I will in no wise cast out. Here's the promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And still you go on without that blessing. Oh my friend, that's folly indeed. But the promise of God abides faithful if we believe not yet he abideth faithful he cannot deny himself the promise here is of entering in entering into his rest so often we're tempted to be like that elder brother the joyful rejoicing is going on inside the Father's house. And we are outside complaining about his willingness to let others in who haven't been as good as us. How come he's in? Because he trusted in the love of the Father and the welcome that he received. Did he deserve it? No, he didn't. But none of us do. And that wonderful, gracious provision of entering into his rest is set forth there in the gospel. What a terrible thing it would be if you fail to enjoy it. If I should fail to enjoy it. Entering into his rest. And what a, a lovely thought that is. 
there remaineth yet a rest for the children, the people of God. The heavenly blessedness in which God dwells. What the Old Testament people of God would have called the shalom, the peace of God. Which in the New Testament we're told passes all understanding. And there is rest for your soul, my friend. Both here and now in this world and eternally. When you trust in Christ. There is no peace, we are told, for the wicked. But there is rest, eternal and unbroken, both now and evermore. For those who place their trust in him. Oh may that include you. From the young ones before me. To the eldest ones gathered in. Let us therefore fear. Lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of us should seem to come short of it. And then he goes on to say the context particularly for the gospel was preached unto them as well as unto us. That's the danger of failing to enter into the rest that the gospel provides. Oh, may none of us be found doing that for our good and most of all for his glory. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the opportunity to gather together and to think upon those things that are eternal, those things which are, with regards to our eternal welfare. Bless our meditation upon thy word and help it, O Lord, to sink deep within to each soul for our blessing that we, O Lord, should walk with that godly fear and reverence that we should fear lest we should fall into the unbelief that may be seen in a hundred different ways, but all of them utterly soul-destroying, whether on the dirty or the clean side of the broad road, all lead to the same dreadful end. Lord, may we be found on that narrow road which leadeth unto life, even faith in Christ, so hear us, be with us, love us and forgive us. May all the glory be thine for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to sing in conclusion from Psalm number 100. We're going to sing the first version of the psalm, very well-known psalm. I'm sure uh, the boys and girls would be able to quote it uh, without any difficulty. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, him serve with mirth, his praise foretell. Come ye before him and rejoice. And so on we'll sing together the whole of the first version of Psalm 100, a psalm of praise. Know that the Lord is God indeed, without our aid he did us make. We are his flock, he doth us feed, and for his sheep he doth us take. And then it says this, O enter then his gates with praise. Let us fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. O enter then his gates with praise. Approach with joy his courts unto. 
praise Lord and bless his name always, for it is seemly so to do. And so on to the end. To God's praise, Psalm 100, first version. few intimations. One is to say, of course, the evening service is at the usual time of 6.30pm and I, God willing, will be the uh, preacher again on that occasion. The prayer meeting on Thursday is at 7.30pm and will be taken by Mr. Derek McLean. The services next Sabbath are at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm and the preacher expected is the Reverend John McPherson. There will also be a short meeting of the elders in the library after the service. Inverness Presbytery will meet in this building on Tuesday at 11am for visitation of records and thereafter at 12 noon for any further business. There's also a training session in CPR and for the use of the planned defibrillator which will take place in the church on Monday the 6th of March 7pm. Uh, please add your name to the list in the vestibule if you would like 
to participate. And of course, the following day, uh, the committees of the church meet. So please keep those things in your prayers. All these subject to the will of Almighty God. Let us close with the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest upon and remain with you. And all who love our Lord Jesus sincerely and in truth. Amen.